Welcome to the Fromer Travel Show. I'm Pauline Fromer, your host. I'm so glad that you're here because we're not going to be talking just about travel today. We're going to start today's show discussing travel that will improve your mental and physical well-being. And to help me do that, I have Karen Gardner on the line. She wrote a fascinating new article for the Washington Post called Waves of Relief. Research shows that blue spaces, those in and around water, boost mental and physical well-being. And it's a great article, Karen. Thank you so much for appearing on the show. Thank you. So how did you get the idea to do this article? Mm, Okay, well... You know, in recent years, I've been reading a lot about nature therapy and, you know, prescriptions to spend time in nature. Mm -hmm. And I think that over the past year, being kind of limited to where I can go um, during the pandemic, I've been kind of feeling a sense of loss of the places that I like to go, which the places where I feel happy, which are by stormy coasts in the far north somewhere. I'm from the north of Scotland, so that's ah. that's where I feel at home. Um, I was hearing a hint of an accent. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So so um yeah I kind of started thinking about watery spaces and why is it that um I like being by water and you know you know I was I was lamenting not being by these really sort of exciting watery places but I live in Baltimore and I'm just down the road from the harbor and I like walking around that so so I just started thinking about that a little bit more and I was doing some research and I found that although it's quite limited still there is some research into blue spaces as it's called Well, before we get to blue spaces, there has been a lot of research done about what's called green spaces. Yes, absolutely. Those are, you know, there's in Japan, there's forest bathing Mm -hmm. uh, where you you get out into nature and it supposedly lowers your blood pressure and has other good effects. Uh, is, Is blue spaces very different? I have heard that there is a greater uh, benefit being near blue spaces. Um, I think I wrote in, I think I mentioned in the articles, there's things like you tend to do more unstructured social activities in blue spaces, um, a blue space, like which can even be a fountain in the middle of a city um, that can help lower the temperature of a city. Right. Um, but what I found very interesting is, I, I might not be phrasing this totally well, but there is a little bit of a class difference. Hmm. So getting to bear in mind that a lot of this research that I mentioned is from Europe, so it could be very different here. Things like forest bathing, you know, going to the forest and all these lovely green spaces tends to be a little, there tends to be a little bit more of a barrier for that Hmm. for working class people, whereas the coast is a lot more accessible. Interesting. Yeah. And so, and when, so go on, sorry. No, go ahead. (laughs) So, so, so that means that these blue spaces don't have to be aquamarine blue. No. (laughs) You don't have to be going to the Seychelles or to Tahiti or Hawaii to be getting these benefits. You can go to a fountain or you can go to a nearby beach or a, a river that's kind of a muddy, 
brown green and that still counts as a blue space. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's uh, that's the really interesting thing is like it's it's water. It's not doesn't even have to be like the most beautiful setting. It can just be water like in the middle of the city. And Wallace J. Nichols's book, The Blue Mind, even talks about taking a shower. <laughs> like you, you have, um, you know, I don't know about you, but all my best ideas come to me in the shower. So there must be something to that. <laughs> I, I always feel better when I remember to shower actually. <laughs> yeah. And I love baths. That's, that's a nighttime routine for me. It's the right. best thing before sleep. Now these, uh, so you said there had been a, a, a study by the European Union or in the European Union. Yeah. I think it, it was partly funded by the, the EU. Yeah. And they, uh, so there were, you, you, it's not just generally feeling better. They found specific markers of health improved, right? Yes. Mental health. Yes. So it's so interesting because we've heard, so you, you talk about in the piece that many doctors now prescribe mm-hmm. getting out into nature, uh, green spaces mostly, but now perhaps they'll be doing blue. But in order for this to be effective, the doctors have to prescribe this so-called treatment in a specific way, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. That's what I spoke to uh, a young researcher in Glasgow. His name's uh, Yules Alejandri. He's originally from the Philippines. And he is working in the field of what he calls, I never heard of this before, green and blue prescribing or blue and green prescribing. So he... He's not a doctor, he doesn't know himself. He's researching, combining, prescribing time and blue space, very much tailored to the person with what he calls green antidepressants. So obviously there's still people who need antidepressants, like just going to a blue space is not going to solve their problems. But um, yeah, that's... When you say it has to be tailored to them, Mm -hmm. so the, the doctor can't just say, get out into nature, damn it. He has to look at what their interests are and and tailor it in a certain way. Yes, and it, I mean the the coast, for example, a lot of what the research has been a lot of the research has been about coast. That can be a scary place for people. So just telling someone to go out and jump in the sea is that's pretty scary for a lot right. of people. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So, so what are they told instead? Well, I guess I I would guess it would very much depend upon the person. But uh, in Glasgow, where Yules works, I know that they're looking into time spent by the canals because there's a big canal network in Glasgow. Being by the river, going just going for a walk is right is one of the things that they have found. They did a study in Barcelona that found that 20 minutes walking by water by the seafront per day improved mental health. Right. And it's not just the visual of it. It's also hearing the water is very soothing. Yes, definitely. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason why... You get those apps, right? With the (laughs) wave sounds. Right, right. Yes, absolutely. Yes. And as you said earlier, you have unstructured time mm-hmm. by the water. You you might just hang out with your children, building yeah. sand castles and running in and out of the waves. And it's 
It's less, I'm going to the wilderness to set up a tent and uh, hike this place. It's just kind of hanging out. Totally, yeah. And doing that in a beautiful nature space can be a healing thing. Well, it's a delightful article. Thank you so much, Karen, for appearing on the Fromer Travel Show. Thank you. It's lovely to talk to you. Our next guest is Anne Ma. She wrote a delightful piece for the New York Times about a literary pilgrimage she took. And I want to Start by asking you what the literary pilgrimage was before we say the name of the uh, article. So welcome, Anne, to the Fromer Travel Show. Thank you for having me, Pauline. It's a delight to be here. Well, it's a delight to speak with you. And and you wrote the most charming piece. And it, it wasn't, you weren't following in the footsteps of Charles Dickens you weren't going to, to uh, Ireland to, to look at James Joyce. Who who did you decide to do a literary pilgrimage for, and, and what what was the reasoning behind it? Well, the pilgrimage was to follow the footsteps of Beverly Cleary in Portland, Oregon, and she has always been one of my most beloved authors as a child. I think I read every one of her books, and when I became a parent, uh, I started reading them to my daughter. And what surprised me was I didn't realize as a kid, that the books were set in Portland. Um, but rereading them, it was clear how much of a character the city play, you know, the city itself became in her books. Well, you know, it's interesting. Uh, when I read this, I thought, wow, I never thought of it as being in a place either. And I thought to myself, I wonder if Portland has a section that is kind of like the section on Prince Edward Island that's devoted to Anne of Green Gables, where it's just kind of become almost a carnival. They didn't do that in Portland, I'm assuming. They did not, no. The section that Beverly Cleary lived in as a child, she grew up there, which I also didn't know before this story. She was an Oregon native, born in the Willamette Valley, and her father owned a farm. And she, um, they lost the farm in the 1920s when she was six years old. It was a little bit before the Depression, but um, there was a, a farming crisis at the time. And so her father moved their family of three to Portland. It's a northeastern neighborhood of the city around Grant Park. Adjacent is another neighborhood called Hollywood. And the family moved, lived in several houses in that neighborhood. You would never guess it because... There aren't any real references to her or, you know, it's not commercialized in any way. But there are there is a park in Grant Park, a sculpture garden with sculptures of the Beverly Cleary, some of the characters from her books. Right. And there's a beautiful photo in the article. And let me give the name of the article just in case anybody wants to read it. It's called Imagining the Timeless Childhood of Beverly Cleary's Portland. And there is a photo of your daughter holding a, the hand of a statue of Ramona. I think it was Ramona. Was it Ramona yes, or Beezus? Ramona. Yeah. Ramona. Mm-hmm. <laughs> who, was, who was my favorite Beverly Cleary character in the park with, with a smile on her face that could be seen a mile away. <laughs> I mean, it was a rainy day when we visited. And the minute she saw those statues, there's Ramona, Henry Huggins, and his dog, Ribsy. 
she just ran up to them and was beaming. And it was an unforgettable moment for, for the three of us, my husband, her, and I. Right. But you said that, I mean, some of the literary pilgrimage, your daughter didn't have that much patience for, uh, you said in the course of the piece. <laughs> so what else did you try and do to to capture the spirit of Beverly Cleary's world? Well, we walked around her neighborhood a lot. Um, and, you know, that that is It was great fun to see the houses. There are all these craftsman style homes that were built from kits in the 1920s and 30s that, you know, grew a little tedious for her after after a while. But it was fun to imagine Ramona on those streets. Um, You probably remember the scene in one of the books where she's stomping around on her tin can stilts or, you know, crossing the street to where she gets stuck in a mud puddle and has to be yanked free by Henry Huggins. All those things really became, came to life uh, in that neighborhood. And one of the things that I thought gave the article such poignancy was, this was your last trip before COVID and you left the country for COVID and, and you kind of bring it in it seems almost magical reading this very simple trip you took, but you got to go into a library mm-hmm. <laughs> with your daughter, into a children's area, into a park where she could play without masks on. And and it, it just was so moving to read about the normalcy of, of this trip that you took. I when think, you finish, go, mm-hmm. go ahead. I think about no. that a lot, um, just how regular the, the things we did were, you know, going to a cafe and having hot chocolate, visiting the library because Beverly Cleary was a children's librarian and the, her local library in her neighborhood played a huge role in her life as um, a writer, a reader, and, you know, her, her chosen career as a librarian. The library she used to go to is now a cafe. But and then there's a new library in the neighborhood. And, you know, just visiting those both of those places was impossible. Just a few months after we had had gone there. We also visited her childhood hometown um, in the Willamette Valley, this, uh, her town of Yamhill, and seeing the Victorian house she grew up in. And then afterwards, we went to stay in a vintage trailer park and, you know, roasted hot dogs and marshmallows for dinner. Again, things, I mean, I suppose we could have done the last thing during the pandemic, but, you know, travel in and of itself became very frightening and just something we weren't really willing to take the risk to do. Right. Well, this isn't in the in the article, but you do say in the article that this was your last trip before leaving the U.S. So uh, tell our listeners where you went. So we have moved to Hanoi, Vietnam. We actually moved in September, but this was the la- this was very much this trip in um, the last days of 2019 was our last family vacation, and then we went back to our home in Washington D.C. And then in September of last year, 2020, we moved to Hanoi. And Hanoi, uh, for the listeners who don't know, Vietnam has done pretty well in the course of this pandemic, in terms of how widespread infection has been? What what has it been like to be living in Vietnam at this time? Well, Vietnam has done an incredible job combating the pandemic, controlling the pandemic. Life is basically normal here. There, wow. you know, schools are open in, in person every, you know, every day of the week, not every day, Monday through Friday. 
There sure. are children's camps, restaurants are open, offices. Um, it's, you know, like life, normal life. But to, to enter Vietnam, we did go through two weeks of quarantine, strict quarantine um, in a hotel where we weren't allowed to go outside. All our meals were brought to us. We had no contact, physical contact with the outside world. Um, and we were tested a couple of times. So Vietnam um, is very, very strict about uh, travelers or re- people returning to the country. And as a result, they have managed to control the pandemic to the extent where life is basically normal. Wow. And and how did they, do you know, I mean, you weren't there, I guess, at the beginning of the pandemic, but what do you think, why do you think they were so successful at the beginning? Was it the strictness? They had learned many lessons from the SARS epidemic and Mm. they applied those, um, when this, when COVID began to happen. So I think closing the border was a huge step for them. Um, and there's also contact tracing and testing are the three things that they've really used successfully. And I really, you know, entering Vietnam, once we were free and allowed to leave our quarantine apartment was it it really took some adjustment um it was strange to walk around on the street and no one was wearing masks and people were eating in restaurants and interacting and it, it took it took some time to adjust to that and so you didn't have to worry about people being nervous about you as an outsider i mean with covid in in the air from where you were from did were you able to meet people and make friends Yes, absolutely. I mean, I think everyone knows the strict regulations to enter Vietnam. And so people are just go about life as usual and are very confident about it. There's, there's travel within the country as well. Amazing. Well, that's, that's so heartening to hear. I, I was in Vietnam, gosh, about a year and a half ago, and I absolutely fell in love with it. The people were so kind to us and the sights were so fascinating and the the food is extraordinary. Uh, so I'm a little jealous <laughs> of you being in Vietnam. Absolutely wonderful place. Um, so many little pockets of charm and beauty just have completely captured my heart. Well, your article really captured my heart. It brought me back to the days when I was reading Beverly Cleary. Thank you so much, Anne, for appearing on the Frommer Travel Show. Thank you so much for having me. our next guest has his finger on the pulse of what's happening in travel right now. His name is Stan Sandberg. He is the founder of travelinsurance.com. Welcome to the travel show, Stan. Thank you very much, Pauline. Uh, Thank you for having me. So I wanted you on for two reasons. For anybody who doesn't know, travelinsurance.com is a really terrific online marketplace that helps people who are traveling find the right insurance policy. It, it, it surfaces a number of different policies with their prices. And so I wanted to talk to you first about what you're seeing in terms of the return of travel and then about what people need to know about insurance. Because if you're traveling during a pandemic, damn it, don't be stupid. You need insurance. <laughs> That's just, I think, a gimme. So let's talk first about what you're seeing. 
Have you seen an uptick tick in uh, recent weeks with people starting to book travel insurance for their newly booked trips? Well, um, Pauline, it, it's interesting. We actually started to see uh, signs of this pent up demand as early as the uh, fall of 2020. Really, um, in fact, once the news of the, the vaccines and the uh, effectiveness of the vaccines started to become clear, uh, we started to see people um, back on our website. Now, granted, people weren't necessarily buying uh, back in the summer, but but around uh, September, October, November, we definitely started to see uh, an uptick in traffic and people purchasing. But the 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 real kind of growth has really occurred uh, over the last couple of months. And and I guess I'd characterize the the people purchasing uh, back in October and November. The 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 trips that people were buying insurance for were primarily end of 2021 travel uh, or 2022 travel. What we're seeing now are more people purchasing insurance for summer of 2021. So people, yeah, so, the, you know, the, they're, they're, we, we know there was this pent-up demand, but now we're, we're starting to see it. And, you know, interestingly, um, it may come as no surprise that that most people over 2020 and and um, and and the beginning of the year were purchasing insurance for domestic travel. Right, uh, right. That's that's the largest segment. But then when you look at where else people are going internationally, the Caribbean dominated uh, uh, travel insurance purchases. Right. Uh, followed by Mexico, Costa Rica, Central America. So you know, staying still relatively close. And uh, and in many cases, the islands, because I think there was a maybe less of a fear factor sure. uh, in, in those locations. Are you seeing anybody insuring trips to Greece or Croatia, which to my mind are the two European destinations that seem open enough right now to travel to? So... In, in terms of recent purchases, we we really haven't. I, I, Greece, you know, when I look at sort of the the, the top, well, I guess they are in the top twenty five of, of destinations, uh, sitting at number twenty four. So you know, not a lot yet. I, I think um, with Greece in particular and Croatia I, I, is is not even on the top uh, twenty thirty list. So interesting. Um, yeah, so we haven't necessarily seen that, but I think with Greece, um, I think there's still a little bit of it, it may still be up in the air. And typically, uh, people will only buy insurance, uh, and and they should only buy insurance after they've actually bought their trip. So right. if they're in still the planning stages, but haven't quite put any money down yet, there wouldn't have been a reason for them to buy insurance yet. So it'll be interesting, though. I think over the course of the next you know six to eight weeks. You know, when some of this clarity comes in into in, in focus, we, we may, you know, we may see a real uptick in places like uh, Greece and, right. and Croatia and other parts of Europe. Sure. So are people insuring different things or buying different types of insurance than they were pre-pandemic? I mean, what do people have to know about what you need right now in terms of insurance? Well, the biggest change from uh, the effects of, uh, of COVID um, and, and insurance is a, a product 
a trip cancellation product with a feature called cancel for any reason. Pre-COVID, cancel for any reason was typically regarded as a a premium upgrade to a plan. Because it's more expensive. It's more expensive. It can sometimes be you know, an additional 50% of the cost of the the base cost of the insurance to, to add that on, but it provides the most flexibility to cancel a trip. And it will cover all of the reasons that a standard travel insurance policy won't. So uh, in many cases, the, you know, even the closing of borders or a, a country shutting down its borders unexpectedly, or even the fear of a destination uh, having an uh, you know, another uptick in, uh, in, in the virus. All of these things, you know, may sound like valid reasons to cancel and, and should be covered by a travel insurance plan. They typically aren't. The nuts and bolts of a travel insurance plan today will cover you if you contract COVID. They, they treat it as if it's any other um, medical issue or sickness. Uh, so if you unexpectedly get sick with COVID or anything else, you, you would have uh, coverage to, to cancel. And in some cases, if you're uh, subject to a, a official quarantine, that may also constitute a reason to cancel under a standard plan. But what I described before, the, the, you know, the unexpected government shutdown or, the, or the, again, the fear of a destination uh, being in a crisis, Those are reasons that aren't covered under a standard plan. So you have to get a cancel for any reason plan. And so we're seeing a lot of people opting to buy cancel for any reason when pre-COVID, most people didn't buy it. Has that affected the cost of cancel for any reason? Has it gone down at all now that it's becoming more common or are just people shelling out more money? Well, you know, interestingly, um, over the course of the last year, many providers updated their products to actually add more um, pandemic-friendly terms. And in so doing, we did see some price uh, adjustments. And, and so I, I can't say that, that the price went really uh, dramatically up or dramatically down. I think it really was sort of still within the range of, of where we were before. And, and typically, travel insurance, uh, their, their pricing grids don't change very often. The way that they're structured, they price insurance off of really two main variables, the first being the traveler's age and then the amount of trip costs that one is insuring. And those two variables are, you know, are what drive the price. So uh, obviously a $10,000 trip to insure a $10,000 trip is going to cost a lot more than insuring a $1,000 trip. Sure. I was wondering about costs because uh, and you tell me, I actually haven't heard either way, but it occurred to me, did the insurance companies have to pay out a lot more than normal during COVID? And obviously they had much less business because people weren't insuring trips. So were they really hurt by the COVID crisis? Well, yeah, I, I think uh, as a whole, and I, I, I don't think anyone should cry for the insurance industry in general. <laughs> Nobody because, ever does. No. <laughs> yeah. um, and they'll, they, everyone will be okay in the end. But, um, but, but really, I think the challenge that the uh, travel insurance industry and the insurance carriers faced were the fact that this was almost an unprecedented set of circumstances that unfolded very, very quickly. And for many carriers, the terms of their policies in some cases, excluded coverage specifically for pandemics. 
what we saw happen uh, is that the insurance carriers opted to, and I think probably there was some pressure from uh, outside sources that maybe helped facilitate it, but, but they really responded by making some adjustments to the policies to make them more pandemic friendly. So, uh, i.e., uh, for those plans that had a general exclusion built in to them, uh, for a pandemic or an epidemic, they waived that exclusion. So that wasn't going to necessarily cancel um, coverage just because of that. And then, quite frankly, that also when the when the carriers decided to treat COVID like any other sickness, and again, not exclude COVID from the list of reasons why you could cancel. When you say um, the carriers, you mean the insurance companies? Yes. Yes. Thank yes. you for the okay. clarification. Yes, the insurance sure. carriers. The, the ones who, who write the policies and, right. and, uh, I, I thought you might mean airlines for a second, but yeah. no. Okay. Oh, got it. Yeah. Thanks. And so, so they, they, again, they, they tried to make accommodations and, you know, one of the other big accommodations, which I think was a way to acknowledge that many of the people who canceled their trips because of COVID, in fact, didn't necessarily cancel altogether, but maybe just postponed for a year. We know a lot of instances where uh, travelers who were scheduled to travel in 2020 just tacked a year onto the same trip. So they just replanned it for 2021. And in those cases, the insurance providers, travel insurance providers, allowed for the change in their policies or in some cases, and actually in many cases, issued vouchers for their existing travel insurance and, and, and basically offered a voucher to be used uh, for up to two to three years. So if one did not necessarily uh, rebook right away, uh, they still had the ability to use the insurance on a future trip. And then, That's of good. course, there were many and there were many cases where people who you know had a trip canceled, they got all of their money back. They weren't planning a, uh, a new trip. In some of those cases, the insurance carriers would uh, actually cancel the insurance and refund the insurance to huh. the to the customer. Look, all in, it, it was an extremely painful year for everybody associated with travel. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's an understatement. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but but you know, again, I, I'm feeling um, more optimistic. In fact, more optimistic than I've ever felt because of. The uh, again, the, the sort of interest that's starting to emerge, and the fact that we are seeing bookings, and that that people are uh, buying travel insurance yeah. again. Well, Pete, we're seeing bookings. Southwest Airlines brought back their flight attendants. Uh, it's definitely happening. <laughs> yes, travel is definitely returning. Is there anything I didn't ask you that I should have? Well, I think one point you made, which I think maybe the most important takeaway here, is that. As people start to gear up and start to travel again, it probably is the most important consideration or travel insurance has probably become one of the most important considerations for people. And and I was thinking about this, there, there are certain benefits and parts of a travel insurance plan that sometimes people overlook. But as the airlines and airports and the whole travel infrastructure starts to gear back up, there are going to be snafus in the system and yeah. a travel insurance plan actually builds in a lot of benefits for those snafus. So, for instance, there's if you like missed connection or trip delay. So this is, you know, short of having to cancel it altogether. You still get benefits that, uh, 
uh, you know, pay for additional yeah. hotel or travel costs that might be associated with, uh, you know, a, a canceled flight or a delayed flight. Yeah, or we actually, you- we, we did an article on this, that there have been an astounding number of changed itineraries by the yes. airlines. They're still getting things together yeah. and their their schedules are kind of suggestions rather yes. than definite schedules right now. And so travel insurance, say you're you flew to a destination and then whoops, your airline changed it and you have to fly back a day later. Insurance would cover that extra night it, it, at a it, hotel? Yeah, it sure would. Okay. And uh, and stuff like um, a baggage delay, uh, you know, uh, as, as the airlines start to contend with more travelers and their bags, you're going to see a lot more sort of baggage loss or baggage delay. And there are built-in benefits in these plans for, for that what about, uh, I mean, we've, I hate to even go here, but we've seen some extreme things happening with medical facilities, you know, places at the height of the pandemic getting overrun and people having to go out of state. Say there's a surge like there's happening right now in Michigan. Say there's a surge in a place and, and all the hospitals get filled up and you have to travel to, to get treatment. Does does travel insurance cover that kind of uh, thing? Well, uh, it, it, travel insurance does not um, uh, does not doesn't cover travel for medical treatment. Uh, but huh. what where where it may be applicable is if if you're traveling and and God forbid you injured yourself or uh, you uh, you know had a emergency which required you to seek medical help. And if you are in a destination that can't provide the adequate medical care, potentially because it's overrun or it may not have the facilities available, travel insurance will provide you with a a medical evacuation uh, in their, you know, emergency medical evacuation coverage. And so you may have, you know, a reason to be able to use that kind of coverage. Um, Typically, you see that being used with international travel, when you're in a destination that that really doesn't have uh, proper medical facilities, you you know you'd, you'd see that kind of an example. But that might also be applicable in situations where uh, a hospital or medical facility was overrun and right. couldn't take you. Yeah, can't believe we're even talking about that. But we I have know. to nowadays. It's really you really do. And yeah. you know, look, yeah. there's Which so many is things why- that. Oh, I, I was just going to say, Pauline, there's so many things that can yeah. affect travelers and, uh, you know, and disrupt a trip. And these are things that most people don't think about when they're trip planning, because the idea of planning your dream vacation is about planning your dream vacation, not about worrying about the things that could go wrong. But a, a simple uh, travel insurance plan, which typically is much uh, more cost effective than people think, can really keep you in the vacation bubble and, and and it can help you through those uh, you know those troubling times and I'll give you one more example I think last week there was a a, a volcano that uh, erupted in St Vincent's right uh, yeah you know, that's a perfect example travel insurance provides coverage for disruptions caused by natural disasters you know a couple of years ago the wildfires in Greece and on the west coast you know these are things that are standard in travel insurance plans. So COVID is the is the one that's on everyone's mind, but there are other things that can impact travel today and, and travel insurance, quite frankly, can have your back. Correct. Well, all food for thought. Uh, thank you so much, Stan, for appearing on the Fromer Travel Show. 
Thank you very much for having me, Pauline. It's been uh, it's been great. And that's it for this week's podcast. As always, I thank you so much for listening. I'm going to be taking off next week, so I will see you in two weeks. And to those who are traveling, may I wish you a hearty bon voyage. Mm-hmm.